This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, August 1st, 2021, at St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Roanoke, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of my guilty pleasures in life is watching sort of reality TV competition shows, um, particularly cooking shows. I'm not so much into like the extreme kind of competitions, but, but like cooking shows like MasterChef um, are some of my favorite things to watch. And my favorite version of this kind of reality competition show um, is exemplified by the great British Bake Off, right, which comes on PBS and you can stream it on Netflix. And there's just something, maybe it's the accents, maybe it's just the pacing of the show. It is just relaxing for me to watch these very pleasant people attempt to bake things in the course of 45 minutes to an hour and somebody at the end is declared a winner. I'm more partial to this type of programming than what we get in our American cooking shows because even in the nice ones, there's this still sort of level of competition. Somebody somewhere along the way says or does something that equates to, I'm not here to make friends, I'm just here to win, right? There's a, there's a viciousness to it that isn't quite there in at least the Great British Bake Off. I haven't watched all of British reality TV, but on that show, there's not this sort of backbiting. It's kinder, it's gentler. There's a logical progression from the first task that they get to sort of the end. And throughout this, the amazing thing is that the competitors will help each other. Now, I have watched all of the great British Bake Off that is available currently, um, including the season that they shot during the pandemic. And so when I was on vacation for a couple of weeks, I was sort of digging around looking for something to distract me. And I discovered that apparently British folks like this particular formula as much as I do, and they have applied it to other sort of activities. Particularly, they have applied it to the making of pottery and have created a show called The Great Pottery Throwdown. It's available on HBO Max if you need something to watch. There's three seasons of it. And it has the same gentle kind of rhythm that the Bake Off has. The collection of potters come in and they have sort of a big task that they have to do that they've been able to prepare for. And then there's some tasks that they do just in the moment. They find out right then this is what you're going to have to do. It's sort of silly things like the most one of the ones that I just watched. They had to make like these teeny tiny teacups and plates and saucers. But it is everybody is calm and everybody is there to support and help each other to be the best potter that they can be on that given day. Now you might be sitting there, if you've thought very much about pottery, and think, well, there's not much drama in making pottery. But let me tell you, there is, particularly with, you know, sort of a complicated camera crew and some good editing, right? You have the drama of actually getting a pot to sort of stand up out of the clay on a wheel, or if you're making it by hand, how you get the spirals to build up and up. 
Sometimes you have to make really big pieces in individual parts and you have to dry them and stack them up and join them together. But the real drama comes from when you put the pots, whatever you've made, into a kiln. Because then you have to wait like 24 hours. And you don't have any control over what happens in the kiln, right? It's high temperature and pressure that takes this sort of loose, goopy clay and turns it into actual ceramic pottery that, that's hard. And I didn't know this until I started watching the great pottery throwdown. Things in a kiln can explode, right? If you didn't dry the pottery enough before it goes in, it will blow out and it can break the other things that are around it. And so there's always a moment in each episode where the potters sort of line up and wait for the bricks to be taken down off the kiln to see if there's been an explosion. At the end of the show, at the end of the series, only one potter can win, right? There's never, that doesn't change. Only one person is going to win. But the really remarkable thing about it is throughout the competition, the potters seem to genuinely care for each other. If something goes wrong with something that they've made, they help each other put it back together. Or if they need help lifting up a big piece or doing some sort of crazy piece of clay work, somebody comes over and helps them. I think this sort of snapshot of a community that we see on the great pottery throwdown is an example of, community, of a community of mutual support and flourishing that helps us understand a bit of what's going on in our part from the letter to the Ephesians that we get this morning. So in Ephesians, we have, we have hit the halfway point. You hear from the way that it starts that we're, we are turning a corner, right? The first three chapters of Ephesians have been about the reality that God has already created. Namely, that we, as God's children, have been chosen, adopted, and saved through the love of Jesus Christ. End stop. End of story. That has already happened. Also, God, through Jesus Christ, has removed the divisions that separate us, divisions of race, gender, class, ethnicity, whatever we can imagine keeps me separated from you. In the reality of the kingdom of God, those have been removed. We've also learned in the first three chapters that the reason why this can really exist is because we are rooted and grounded in this abundant love of Christ that we can't do anything about, right? If we don't think there's enough of it, God laughs and says, well, here's even more love, right? That's what we're rooted in that breaks down these divisions and that has us being chosen, adopted, and saved. And so now in chapter four, we get to what we could call the, well, so what, right? So what if we're chosen, loved, adopted, and saved? So what if God has broken down all the divisions amongst us? What does it actually mean to live in this new reality? What are we as the children of God called to do? And what we hear is a pretty big ask, and it's unambiguous. Because we are chosen, adopted, and saved through the love of Jesus Christ, and that love has broken down the divisions amongst us, we are called to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Right? 
God says, I have set out a world in front of you that is filled with love and reconciliation and togetherness, and you need to lead a life that is equal to the world that I have already created. And when we do that, we do it with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. God has created a reality, and our challenge is to live in it as though we are experiencing it right now. That we are a community built on love and reconciliation. A community that with humility and gentleness and patience bears the burdens of each other together. We're called to help each other out. We're called to pick up the pieces when something goes wrong. We're called on each individual day to make sure that we are the best person, best child of God that we can be that day. This unity, this communal response is so important that the writer of the letter of Ephesians uses the word one, points to our oneness, our unity, seven times. And in the scripture, we pay attention when things happen in threes and sevens. When they happen in sevens, that means that's the whole point. That's the whole thing of what's going on. We are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Seven times the writer points to the importance of our communal life together. Our oneness does not erase the diversity that we have in our communities. And in the letter to the Ephesians, particularly, the writer focuses on our diversity of gifts given to us by Jesus to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And before you get too comfortable and think, well, that's somebody else's job that's ordained and gets to wear the fancy clothes. I would say to you, it's not just limited to that. Our diversity of gifts that come to us from Jesus Christ aren't just what we associate with church leadership. There are gifts of caregiving and healing and encouraging and making art and being musicians. And whatever vocation we find ourselves in out in the world, we are called to use that gift given to us by God to equip the saints around us for the work of ministry, for the sole purpose of building up the body of Christ so that we can come together in unity of faith and maturity in that faith. Now, to be mature in faith means that you can be tried and tested by the changing opinions of the world, but hold fast. It means when you are mature in your faith that you can continually meet the deceitful pull and pull, pull, push and pull of the world towards individual, individualism and selfish conceit that seeks to divide us. That you meet that with our abiding sense of love and oneness that we have as a community. We meet the world's anxiety and anger with truth and love, patience and peace. I'm tempted to sort of write off this passage from Ephesians as a really nice idea at the time. But that clearly they didn't understand what kind of world that we would live in right now. Where this oneness and this gentleness and this patience and peace seem completely impossible. We even look at the church ourselves, right? The visible body of Christ and see that it is fractured and broken. That our families and relationships seem to be splitting apart that right now we see maybe as far away from oneness as we can ever be. 
Sometimes I feel like for the past 18 months, and maybe even right now, like I've been in a kiln and the fire just keeps getting turned up and up and up. And I don't know whether or not I'm going to break or fracture or blow out or what's going to happen. Some of us have already shattered under the heat and pressure. Some of us have sort of been destroyed because our neighbor has blown up in the kiln next to us. But we certainly feel that something is going on. But we can't write off the letter to the Ephesians because as Christians, we know we are called to live a life worthy of the calling that God has called us to. That we are living already, but not yet fully, in the kingdom of God. And so our response to this moment of being packed in under heat and pressure is not to withdraw down into ourselves, to bunker down, to try to protect ourselves and maybe our family that's around us, but is to turn and look to see how we can help pick up the pieces and put them back together of our neighbors and our communities and churches and places of gathering. Now, they don't ever do this on the great uh, pottery throwdown because it requires already made pots and probably a different method. But they talk about it some that in pottery, particularly in Japanese pottery, there is a practice called, and I won't say this quite right, I'm sure, kintsugi. And the idea of kintsugi is that you take a piece of pottery that has been broken. And instead of just throwing it into the rubbish bin or going and buying something new, you take that piece of pottery and you mix together sort of this slurry of glaze and ceramic and gold or silver or platinum and you put the pieces together and you can see with the pieces put together this beautiful veins of gold or whatever the precious metal is and it returns the plate or the pot back to being able to be used. Now, some of us might think, well, why don't you just do it in a way that you can't see the break? But for the folks that do this, they see the new piece that is created that bears the scars of having once been broken to be even more beautiful in its new form. And that the brokenness that it has experienced is part of the story of oneness of the piece. So I think when we hear in this letter to the Ephesians, this call towards oneness, this call to be brought together in loving truth and gentleness and patience, we hear the call that in our moments of greatest stress and brokenness, that we are still being knit together as the body of Christ by the grace of God. And that each new seam that we may be patched together with whatever precious love that we can find is what we need to restore ourselves in oneness and to be reminded that we bear this journey together, that we bear this load, not as individuals, but as a community that is the body of Christ. And that our broken places, tenderly knit together, remind us of the love that we are rooted in and that saves us all. Amen.